Hey, well, happy 4th of July. Good to see everyone here. My name is Brian Wilson. I'm the lead pastor here at uh, Grace Church. It's a joy and delight to welcome you here. If you smell something, you're in the room, you smell something, that's because we have a lunch ready for everyone uh, following the service. If you're online, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wish we could probably get on DoorDash, and uh, we'll, we'll pay you later. Uh, but uh, no, we won't do that. But uh, hey, I'd like to welcome all of all, all those who are watching us on, online, on Facebook, on our website. Hey, make sure that you, you check in. Let us know where you're watching from. We have people there ready to pray with you and to actually connect with you as, as well. Uh, we got other things going on in the life, life of Grace Church that Danielle's going to talk about Tori, at, at the end of the service. But let's, let's go ahead and get into God's Word here today. We're walking through the Gospel of John. Today we're in John chapter 5. And uh, picking up there in verse 19. And as you're looking for that on your phone, uh, maybe, maybe you brought your uh, Bible there in John chapter 5, verse 19. Let me sort of set everything up here a little bit. Um, I, I think we can go ahead and say, I think, this is, I think this is a true statement. Jesus causes a problem. Jesus causes a problem. When you really think about who Jesus Christ is, he does cause a problem. Not just for the world, but he causes a problem for each one of us. I mean, across the board, everyone affirms, and we know from extra biblical evidence that Jesus was a real person. Jesus Christ was a real human, that he actually existed. That cannot be denied. And we have so much evidence on that. The problem is this, that Jesus claimed not just to be a human, but that he claimed that he was God. That's right. Jesus Christ claimed that he was God. That he wasn't just fully human, but that he was also fully divine. Now that that causes a problem. Because there's many religions who recognize Jesus as a human being. Islam, Mormonism, New Age. Everyone recognizes Jesus as this this human person. The issue is, do I also affirm him as God? Jesus causes a problem. What we see here in the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, especially the Gospel of John, is that God exists. And rather than us having to go to God, God came and became one of us, that that God became a human. What we read in the Gospels is that the Word who was with God and was with God in the beginning actually became a human being. And this word became flesh and, and, and it actually dwelt among us and lived among us. Think about this. this God, who was divine, lowered himself and became human. Ate and slept. We won't talk about poop and all those things that he did as a human. When you think about this, it's, it's really causes a problem. It's a challenge, you could say. Because if Jesus is really who he says he is, right? 
if Jesus really is who he claims to be, that Jesus really is God, then don't we need to stop what we are doing? Don't we need to actually stop? And, and even on this 4th of July, and truly listen to what he has to say. I mean, Jesus is truly who he claims to be. He's not just fully human, but that he's fully divine. Shouldn't that change everything? And how we organize our life and our time and how we look at our children and how we think about life and the world and our nation, that Jesus changes everything. If he is fully human and he claims to be fully God, then there's a problem. It's a beautiful problem, actually. And we get great insight here. You know, throughout the, throughout the gospel, Jesus never says, okay, let me go ahead and put this on the record. I am God. He never says it. And some people have pushed away from the Christian faith because Jesus never says, I am God. No, he does a better job than that. He tells us, what it's like being the son and with the father and, and being divine. And, and, he, and he paints beautiful pictures and words, and we get insight into that right now. In this passage here in John 5, beginning in verse 19, Jesus is giving a defense. Jesus has actually caused a problem to the religious leaders. We talked about this several weeks ago. The Sabbath is a day of holiness. It's a day that we are to set aside, a day that we are to remember who God is. It's a day where we, where we signify that we are the people of God. It's a day where God rested, a day that God set aside just for us to remember who, we, who he is and who we are as his people. And in order to keep that day holy, the, the religious leaders added some extra things. They, they, they put some extra regulations. They, 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 they put some extra burden around this day. And Jesus comes to free the day, to set it free, to unbind it. And one of the things he does is that he heals this man who has been paralyzed for 38 years, and he sets him free. Amazing, absolutely Amazing. And this man meets the religious leaders, and rather than seeing a healed man, a man who has been touched by God through Jesus Christ, who has been healed and can walk and, and can, has a whole new life, a whole new future, rather than seeing that, they see a man who is violating the law, and they come down upon him. And he finally confesses that it's Jesus who told him to do this. And they go, and they charge Jesus, and they challenge Jesus, and they say, Jesus what gives you the authority in his defense? I'm God. In the midst of this, he explains even more what this relationship with the Son and the Father is. And so I'm going to read this for us, beginning in verse 19, all the way through verse 30, and then come back and just share a couple of points. In, in verse 19, it says, Jesus gave them this answer. Them is the religious leaders. He says, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. 
For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as a father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And will not be judged, but has crossed over, I love this, from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done what is good will rise to life, right? Rise to live. And those who have done evil, well, they'll rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. It's a great promise. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Man, there is so much in here. I know you're ready to eat hot dogs, so let me just give you 12 points. No. Uh, I have one. Jesus is a son who seeks to please the Father. Jesus is a son who seeks to please the Father. Some of us, we, we get caught up with this with this verse, uh, in verse 19, and, and Jesus repeats it in verse 30, where he says, by myself, I can do nothing. And some people have taken that, and some other religions have taken that and say, see, see, he's not powerful. He can't do anything. He said, by himself, he, he can't do nothing. But then he goes on and says, I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. What Jesus is saying here is that, is that I have independence and I have freedom, but, but, but how we live in unity with the Spirit and also with the Father is that we seek to please one another. My role as a son is to seek to please my Father. We see this throughout this Gospels, right? Jesus says, not my will, but his will be done. I have a will, but, but that is not my role as a son, it is, to, is to seek my will and my desire. No, my will and my desire seek the will of my Father, which was go to the cross for you and for me and for all of us in this whole world. 
In John 4, right, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. Jesus lived a life that was surrendered to the Father. Jesus lived a life that was surrendered to pleasing and honoring his Father. That's the relationship between the Father and the Son. He says, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me in John 6. William Barclay said, it's very fascinating. He says, Jesus is the only person who has ever lived who never did what he wanted. That's a pretty fascinating statement, isn't it? And Barclay says that Jesus is the, is the only human who has ever lived and walked on this planet who, who never got to do what he really wanted. And we see this in Philippians chapter 2, where it says that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And what separates Jesus from all other religious leaders is that, is that he did not seek to be divine. He wasn't human trying to grasp to be divine. No, no. His, the way that he exercised and he lived out and manifested his divinity was by humility, was by serving and by emptying himself. And we see this with when, when Jacob and, and Esau, Esau the, the twins, right? So they, are, they are there. And, and so Jacob, what he is grasping, right? He, he, wants, he wants his brother's birthright, so he grasps after it. And so many of us, when we look at power, we want the power. Right? I want to grasp it. I got I to seek. I got to grab it. That's not Jesus. He lived this surrendered life. When my wife and I got married, uh, she gave me a different wedding ring. This is my second wedding ring. I, I lost my first one, I think, in the hospital as a chaplain. I, I believe I did. I'm not sure where it went, but I believe that's it. And, uh, but on my first wedding ring, this one doesn't have it, uh, she engraved inside, uh, love is patient. I said, well, that's really, she goes, because it's the most important, it's the first one. It's so important. I said, yeah, that is true. Love is patient. And she's been very patient with me through the year, especially after the second wedding ring. <laughs> but as we, as we make our way through that passage, love is patient. I know some of us are like, oh, 1 Corinthians 13. I sort of know it. There is a very important aspect of love, right? Love is not self-seeking. And we see this with Jesus, right? He's not, he's not seeking himself. He's not seeking his glory. He's not grasping for his name. He's not trying to exalt himself. What, what is his main purpose? It is to please the Father. It is to bring honor to the Father. It is to bring joy to the Father. And anger, anger is, we don't, is when we, don't get what we want. Anger is when our self-interests have been violated. But love, 
love her when it's not about me. Jesus is, is, is in this relationship and he's showing us and modeling this beautiful relationship between the son and the father. Jesus says in Luke 9, right, if anyone, if anyone come after me, right, if anyone follows me, and as we seek here at Grace to multiply disciples, we say that a disciple is someone who, who follows after Jesus. That's the first step. Follow Jesus, being changed by Jesus, on mission with Jesus. But the first one is following Jesus. And Jesus says, if anyone seeks to come after me, if anyone wants to follow after me, he and she must deny himself. Must deny himself, must deny herself, take up the cross Daily, take up their cross daily, and then you follow me. That there, it's this aspect of what Jesus is saying that, that in order to be a disciple of mine, to be a follower of me, is that, is that you have to let go of your rights to your life. The rights of, of, of seeking your own interests and your own will and your own desires. That sense that you're, you're, you're dying to yourself. For a life for Jesus, for his life. Because that's how the relationship is with the Son and the Father. That the Son serves the Father, lovingly surrendering to the Father. The Son seeks to please the Father. I love, I love what Tim Keller said. He goes, he goes religious people find God useful. He says, religious people find God useful, right? I see God. I want, I want to manipulate God. I want to use God for my own self-purpose and my own self-gain. That's using God to sort of self-seeking. But he says, Christian people find God beautiful. They find him beautiful. And awe and wonder. We see here from this passage that the father loved the son. And the most beautiful thing for the son was the father. His joy and his delight, his affection, his beauty. Jesus says, I, I don't use my freedom in order to seek my own self. I, I use the will that I've been given to serve the Father. Leonard Ravenhill has a very interesting quote. He says this. He says, Entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. Entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. But he goes on and says this, that the more joy that you have in the Lord, the less entertainment you'll need. I know when the pandemic first happened, we were all in lockdown. We weren't able to gather like this last year, right? We all were trying to figure out how do I fill up my days? Netflix and Hulu and all these things. How do I entertain myself so I have to deal with this reality of being by myself and alone and separated? And, and, we, and we buy, we bought into this as a country, as a nation, right? I just got to entertain myself, entertain our kids, entertain more and more of my life and my days. And what Raven Hill says, it's a substitute for true joy because a true joy in this life comes 
from Jesus. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine, cannot imagine that what it's meant to be offered a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We're far too easily pleased. But the most beautiful thing is it's Jesus, and Jesus' most beautiful thing to him was, was honoring the will of the Father, was bringing him joy and delight. And the Father who loved the Son gave the Son two gifts, gave him the gift of being a life giver and gave him the gift of being a just judge. The Father who, who has life, who, who is able to give life, to bring life from those who are dead, gave that gift, Jesus tells us, to the Son. And that Jesus is a life giver. That that by his voice, and those who actually hear his voice and believe in the Father who sent him, that they don't have to live in deadness anymore. They don't have to live without God. They don't have to live just making it through this world. That they could live in life. And when Jesus drops the word here, life, it's not life once we are dead. No, it is the life that God has for us, offered to us right now. He says a a, a time is coming, but a time has come. And usually when we think about eternal life, everlasting life, we're thinking about, oh, that's the life once I die. But Jesus says, no, I'm collapsing that time. Actually, you can have right now the life that is offered to you after death. You can have that life now in me. I have been given the authority by the Father to give life. And so so you don't have to keep working and trying to find your satisfaction in your work. You don't have to keep trying to find love in somebody else. You don't have to keep trying to find joy in this world. Right? It's been offered in Jesus. Jesus has come to bring us life. In him, there is life. And it's life to the fullness. And that's been given by the Father that the Son can give us. This idea of new beginnings. And we see it throughout, so far in the gospel, right? There's a royal official whose son is sick. Jesus brings him back to life. We have a, a woman, a Samaritan woman, who is alive, but everything within her is dead. And she caught up in this religious system, and she's had all these failed marriages, and she's lived with this guy, and her life is just dead. And she meets Jesus, and she's brought back to life. Here's a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years, and he's been left, and he's just sitting in this pool of all these other folks who, who are sick and lame, and he's trying to make his way to this water. And Jesus comes and says, take up your mat and walk. And he's brought back to life. Later on, we're going to 
read about a man who was blind, who could not see, and he is healed by Jesus. Then later on, we're going to meet Jesus' friend, Lazarus, who was actually in the tombs, who is dead, and Jesus calls out to him, and what? He comes back to life. And then Jesus himself, he dies on the cross, and he goes, descends into hell, and then what happens? He comes back to life. See, there is life in Jesus. His community of his people called the church are to be filled with his life. He wants us to live with life and with joy. And the everlasting life that awaits us is here. It's here now. You have to hear it. You have to trust him. Trust his word. Trust his father. The other gift uh, the father gives the son is this gift of judging. The father says, I, I really I have the authority to judge, but I'm going to give that authority to my son. And my son will judge. Jesus says, when I judge, I, I, I want to Make sure that whatever I'm doing is pleasing the Father. But Jesus says, my judgment is just. And we don't really talk about judgment a lot, right? That's probably not a great church growth strategy to talk about judgment. But Jesus talks about it. Actually talks about it a lot in this passage. And the judgment is that uh, from a Jewish perspective, God is the only one who brought life at the beginning, and God's the only one who brought judgment at the end. Jesus saying is that I'm not just some mere man, but I am actually divine, and I have been given by the Father the ability to give life, and also I've been the authority to judge. The judgment is not, uh, should I have uh, a hamburger or a salad? That's not the judgment. The judgment is not, well, what should I do with my life? Should I marry her or marry him? That's not the judgment. Should I take this job or that job? That's not the judgment. The judgment is is a relationship with God. The judgment is that one day we will all be judged on how we have responded to Jesus. That's why he's a problem. Or it could be a savior for all of our problems. Jesus says, hey, if anyone comes to accept me and believe in me, then they have crossed over from death to life, and I have freed the judgment from them. There is no more condemnation toward them. But there will be some. And there will be some who actually hear my voice, but never believe in me. And that, I will be a just judge. They will step away from the life that I offer them. Jesus is the one who brings life to us. He's also the one who is the just judge and that we are judged by Jesus. 
I think the beauty of Jesus' judgment is that when we come to faith in Jesus, that then what he does is, is that he removes our judgment. And that we are judged by his righteousness and his life and his offer of his own life on the cross and through his resurrection. The Bible says that it's for freedom Christ has set us free. And that freedom is freedom from from judgment, but the freedom from death to give us life. I'm not sure where where you are today. I I see you physically. I, I can't see folks online. But I believe there are areas of our life where Jesus wants to bring life, relational life, financial life, vocational life, mental health, freedom, He wants wants to free you from those things. So we're going to have a a time of prayer. Allow it for God's word just to, it's been sent out for us to respond to it. Please join me in prayer. You are the author and the giver of life. The Bible says that you are the alpha and the omega, yet you are the beginning and the end. That all of life begins with you. It's, that there's a sense that we can begin a new life with you. And we see this throughout, Lord, about how you, you go to, to the man who was stricken with all of these demons And even the demons knew who you were. And you just say one word. That man is set free. Years and years of tormenting. Years and years of just beating his body. Years and years of this being in chains. And you released him. You have come to bring us life. You, you, Jesus, are, are the one to, to come to reveal us who the Father is. The Father is the sender and has sent his Son into this world. Because the world is a mess. It is awry. It is broken. It is about its own self, its own power systems, its own structures. And that you have come to set things right. You haven't come to make things better. You have come to change everything. But we've believe that this world will satisfy our deepest needs. We look to people. We look to politicians. We look look to work. We look to other things to fill ourselves. But you've come and set us free. as you loved the Father, as the Father loves you, you so loved the world that that the Father gave his Son. That whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. 
some of us who are doubting that, may you right now confirm it, that we are secure in Jesus, that no matter what may happen in this world, whatever circumstance, whatever situation we may find ourselves, that those things do not define us, that we are defined only by the love of the Son, that we have been rescued, that we have been saved. There's a hurt and there's pain. There's regret and there's remorse. And we allow for the past, the past decisions, the good and the bad, to steal and to rob the life that you've given to us. That's the role of the enemy. Right now, I ask, oh Lord, enemy to be bound. And for the truth of your word to set us free. And maybe we've been raised in the church for generation, generation. And we know how church is, is to run and, 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 we've, and we know all the things about Jesus, but we've never actually given our life to Jesus. We never have taken hold of the things that he offers, which is life, and crossed over from death to life. And today is the day we do that. We reach out to him and call him Savior. We repent of our sins and come to him, the author of life. Holy Spirit, we've, we've asked you to come and, and, you, and you've been doing your work here. Maybe there's someone online right now that today is the day. You're not, you're not sure why you, you decided to, to watch this but well, you're led here by the Lord in today's day to say yes to Jesus. You've been trying to fill your life up with so many things and you end up dead. Today is the day to say yes to the author of life. That he sacrificed his life for you. There's people right now online who are ready to respond to you to say, I want Jesus. I'm ready to pray with you and walk with you through that. Lord, we're living in a world and a, and a nation that breaks our heart. We're not sure exactly what is happening. So many things have bombarded, bombarded us and bombarding our, our youth and our children, our grandchildren. And God, on this day that we get to worship, we thank you for the gift of freedom, the men and women who have sacrificed their lives so we can be here. But also we know, Lord, that our citizenship is not here in this earth, but that we were formed and we were created and we're shaped for a world that is not of this world. And the hurt and the pain and the injustice of this world gives us a yearning for something else. And so God, wake us up. May we not just make mud pies, but may we yearn for it a greater joy that's in you. And may we see you as the most beautiful, wonderful, majestic. May we just lose ourselves in the awe of knowing you. 
that you lived a life surrendered to the Father so we can know the Father, the Father's love. What is it you want right now to say to God? He's here. What is it you need him to do? What is it that he's asking you to do? Why do you keep holding on to that fear? The perfect love of the Father casts out all fear. Why do you keep measuring yourself according to what the world has? The Father is saying, measure yourself according to who I say you are. You're my son and you're my daughter and you are beloved. I've come to bring you joy. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray by saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It is not a temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen? Amen.